Today's message preach, I gotta I'm gonna plug this for a minute. I'm excited to share this thought with you guys this morning. Uh, we've been going through this series, questions my church won't answer. Uh, and today we, I want to get into this idea uh, that actually came from our midweek service. And so we walked around and talked about uh, in that service, what are some of your biggest struggles? What are some of your biggest questions? Uh, one thing that we're going to do next week is we're going to have a box in the building here where we're going to give everybody a piece of paper and we're going to ask you to write down anonymously what is your biggest struggle and doubt when it comes to God. And we're going to, we're going to put those in a box and that's going to be part of the message uh, next week. But can, can all of us admit on some level, all of us have gone through these times of questions, of doubt, of struggle. Is there anybody here that's exempt from that? Raise your hand because I, I will turn the sermon off. I'll turn the mic off and I'll have you come up and preach. Uh, no, seriously. And I, and I think oftentimes the last place you feel safe or you feel comfortable to voice that is in a religious environment. And why is that? Why is that? Part of the reason why I think that is, is we in America, we have created a church culture that the whole point has become all about having all the right answers. Right? And I, I, I use this uh, analogy. I remember when I, was, I used to do this radio show up in Cleveland, and there was another guy on the network, and he had a show, he was called The Bible Answer Man. The Bible Answer Man, you know? When I heard that, I think, like, I just picture, like, Moses, you know, with the tap. It's like, he knows every answer. Really interesting show. Uh, I would listen to it on my way home at, like, 3 in the morning from the radio station. And... He didn't have some interesting stuff on there, you know, and I, I understand the idea and the premise, you know, you call in a bunch of questions about the Bible. Uh, but after a while, I had two, three months of listening to this, I finally reached a point where I'm like, something about this just, it rubs me the wrong way. Because never once in those two to three months did somebody call in to the Bible answer me. And then, hey, if you're the Bible answer man, you're here today, no love, no love lost. Uh, but Never once did somebody call to that show and say, the guy said, you know what? I have no idea. That's a great question. I have no idea. Every time, man, he would have the answer, you know? And something about that really rubbed, rubbed me the wrong way because I've been uh, doing this Jesus thing for a long time. Not as long as some people in this room, but I, I had an encounter with Jesus in solitary confinement when I was 16 years old in juvenile prison. Uh, so we're talking a little bit of time, and I've really tried to genuinely walk this thing out and not just accept the parroted uh, version of who Jesus is from behind a pulpit from every sermon that I've heard, but digging into, digging into it myself. You know, there's something to be said about digging into it for yourself. And I think as, as, as the church in America, we need the critical thinkers to come back into the church, right? We really do. We really do. And I'm thankful that we have people in this church that are critical thinkers. They, 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 they value logic. They're, they're willing to challenge and push back on conversations that we have. And we need that because God has given us the gift of critical thinking. And oftentimes, if you ask most, most people that don't go to church or want nothing to do with religion, the last phrase they would use to describe people in church would be critical thinkers, Right? And, and yeah, so the, the Bible answer, man, this used to run me the wrong way. And so I, for the last, you know, I don't know how many years, I've really tried to search this thing out of myself. And I can tell you uh, with complete peace and confidence, I don't have all the answers, right? And so you may come to me and you say, hey, I got this problem, I got this issue. What should I do? No pressure. Right? Hey, I'll tell you, it, it's, it's interesting uh, doing leadership. A lot of people want to do leadership. 
leadership, but I'm telling you, you better buckle up, man. You better buckle up. So everybody thinks you can solve their problems. Uh, I can't solve everybody's problems. There's, there's things that we run up to that I have no answer for, but we can dig into that together. So I want to say, if you have questions, you have struggles, you have doubts with God, the Bible, Jesus, this whole thing we call the church, uh, we want you to know that at the Fringe Church, this is a safe place for you to be and a safe place for you to work that out, right? And uh, hopefully together we can find some of those answers. But I, And let me say this before we jump into this. Let me relieve you of the spiritual anxiety of the belief and notion that you will find an answer for every question. You know there's some things you will never have an answer for. There are some things, no amount of theology, no amount of Bible verses people quote at you, no amount of conferences, going to the next thing, all the coming to town, so-and-so's coming, you better get there, you're going to get your blessing. There's no amount of that stuff, I'm not kidding, right? Some of that stuff has value, but there's, no, there's some things in life and some questions and struggles in life, you will never find an answer to that question. Uh, I'll give you an example of my brother being murdered when he was 20 years old. There's no spiritual answer somebody could give me that is adequate to match that experience, right? Uh, and and we, we were talking in our midweek service about what are some of the struggles that we have. And this first one, I'm going to go through three questions today. The first question is, why does the Bible seem like a riddle that only some people can figure out? Am I the only one that's thought that? Has anybody ever felt like that? Felt like, man, it's, I don't understand this. It's like they understand, but I don't understand. Is everybody theologians in here? No? Does anybody else struggle with that? Sometimes it feels like a riddle. Sometimes it's hard to understand, hard to grasp. Why does the Bible seem like a riddle and that only some people can figure out? And if you if you unlock it, you'll even hear this language in a lot of uh, sermons on TV. I've got the seven keys to this. You ever hear that? Anybody ever hear this? These are the 12 keys. These are the three. It's confusing. How many keys do I need? I need 12, do I need three? You're confusing me, man. Be a janitor walking around here with 30 keys. I still can't get in. It ain't helping me. It's confusing, right? It's 12 keys, right? Why does the Bible seem like a riddle that only some people can figure out? It's the first question we're going to explore. The second question is why do bad things happen to good people? Has anybody else ever thought that? Why? Come on, this is interactive. Anybody else ever thought that? Doesn't make any less spiritual, doesn't mean you don't believe in Jesus. Why do good things happen to bad why do bad things happen to good people? Tied in with that question, is God really a God of provision? Is he really a God who provides? Because if he is, what about those kids that don't have anything to eat? Has anybody ever thought that? All right. Question four. Where were you when this happened? Has anybody struggled with that? It's not that maybe I, 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 it's not that I don't necessarily don't believe that God's there, but man, where were you at when this happened? Has anybody experienced that? You go through something traumatic and you think, where was God in that? So we're going to explore all that stuff. I promise today is not going to be just heavy and tense. There's some funny stuff in here. I promise you, I was LOLing as I was preparing. <laughs> I hate that phrase. It's so dumb and slang. No, I've never met a single person that was actually laughing out loud when they were typing that dumb little phrase. Have you? Has anybody else been? Okay, my bad. Okay, we've got five people here. You were literally laughing out loud. <laughs> laughing out loud. My favorite is R-O-F-L, rolling around in full of life. I doubt it. I doubt it. No, I doubt it. There's only been a few times I've literally experienced something so funny that I was rolling around on the floor laughing. Uh, we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 9, 
verses 14 through 29. Again, this is the idea of why does the Bible seem like a riddle that only some people can figure out. Some people can figure out. So this is the story of this guy. Uh, his son is really, really sick. This guy is distraught. Like his son is literally like he's going through these psychotic episodes where he's being thrown into the fire. I mean, this dude's kid is like jacked up. Like imagine like, you know, just a, just a caged animal. You know, this kid is going through some horrible, horrible stuff. So I'm, I'm going to read here. In fact, let me see here. Actually, no, I'm going I'm to, let me just kind of paraphrase here. So it talks about, he said, I brought my son here. I'm in desperate need for help. I took him to your disciples, which is symbolic of the church, and they could not help him. For me, first of all, that really sticks out. Because I know a lot of people that have stepped foot in churches and religious environments, and they really needed help. Right? And they didn't find what they were looking for. Has anybody experienced that? Hopefully you're not experiencing that here, but you're, you're searching, you're looking, you're looking for some answers, but the last thing you get is answers. You have, in fact, you get more questions, and you maybe leave with a little bit more baggage. So thankful that doesn't happen anymore in the world. But so this guy takes his son to the, the disciples. Who are the disciples? The disciples, to me, are symbolic of the church. So this guy took his kid to the church, and the church could not help him out. This kid has suffered some horrific stuff. I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Maybe you feel like you've been having a bad day today. I don't think it's as bad as this kid, right? He's gnashing his teeth. He becomes rigid. It's, the guy says he's been like this from childhood. It often throws him into the water or fire to kill him. So this guy, this kid, guy's kid is so tormented. He's got so many issues that he can't, he can't, he can't even function. The kid can't even talk. And so he goes to the religious uh, establishment. He goes where he thinks he can find the answers, and he doesn't find the answer. And then so after the disciples can't help him, the guy says, okay, I'm going to go to the source, man. You guys ain't helping me. And let me just say this, let me, let me say this, and I can say this with freedom. I can say this with liberty, right? Patrick is not the answer to your, to your struggles. The worship leader, whenever they get here, is not the answer to your struggles. You know who the answer to your struggles is? Jesus, man. Jesus. Jesus is so much larger than anything I could ever conjure up. Jesus is so much bigger than any song that we can play. Jesus is so much bigger than any outreach that we can do. And as we're going into the community, as we're serving people, as we're putting things together, may we never forget that the most large figure above it all is Jesus. And he is the one. He is the source of it all. He's the source of it all, man. And so the guy, he gets frustrated. The church can't help him, right? So he goes to Jesus. I'm going to the source, man. And he says to Jesus, hey, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So this guy, he comes into the situation, it's already confusing him, right? He thought this was going to be where the answers was. He's not figuring out the riddle. He can't figure out what's going on. He's trying to get to the source of the issue. He says to Jesus, hey, if you can do anything, take pity and help us. And I want to say that I hope to God that we never become the church where people cannot ask that question. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Hey, I don't even know if I believe this thing that I'm here. I don't even know if I believe what's happening up here. I don't even know if I believe what you're teaching, but I'm here. To me, that is a beautiful, 
that's a beautiful balance of someone who is genuinely searching and struggling. This guy doesn't even know if Jesus can help him, but he's still talking to Jesus, which tells me there's something underneath all of his doubt, all his struggle, all his confusion. There's something within him that tells, tells him that, hey, there's something with this guy. Jesus answers in verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained, I do believe, help me overcome my belief. A little bit, little bit of confusing, a, little, a very confusing statement there. I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. I want to say this, be very, very, be very wary of people who can't acknowledge that sometimes they struggle with believing. Those are the people you need to watch. Those are the people you need to beware of. Beware of super spiritual people that have all the answers and never reach a point where, yeah, I believe. I, Jesus, I know you can do this, but I'm still struggling, right? Because at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but we're all still human, right? Amen? There's this side of us, the, the, spirit, the, 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 the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? It's like we have these two things inside of us, right? And so the guy says to the, to the kid, the guy says to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my belief. That may be the seat that some of you guys are sitting in this morning. You want to connect with God. You want to connect with Jesus, but you have all these issues, all these riddles, all this confusion in your mind that you can't figure out. You know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't push this guy away. And it doesn't make you any less spiritual to struggle with unbelief and doubt. Can I get an amen? Please, can I get an amen? Because oftentimes churches have become the place where everybody who has all the right answers and has it all figured out, we come and we got it with everything, we got it all figured out. Meanwhile, some of the most religious people you'll meet, some of the most miserable people you ever meet, sometimes will be found inside churches. Amen. I was one of them. I've been there. I've been there. So this guy, he goes through these stages of unbelief. He starts with doubt and he's moving towards belief. And we want, we want you to know that this church was built upon being a safe space where people can work through this journey. So first, he came to where Jesus was, right? And we don't buy into the philosophy here at this church that God is just somehow present in this building during this time, right? A God that small is not worthy of worship. Amen. Amen. He is way too big for that. He is way too big. In fact, the scripture even describes that God is so massive, like the earth is his, is his footstool, right? The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. It describes God as being so huge that the heavens and earth are going to be rolled up. They're going to flee away from his face. Think about how, the, how magnificent that is. The Bible describes God as so huge that he said, let there be light. And that flaming ball of fire that we call the sun came out of his mind. God can't be contained in just the church building. Is he here? Yes, of course he is. But this guy, he came to where Jesus was. I don't think that's just you went to a physical location, but I think it, it means that you, you become open to the reality of God is somewhere. I need to find him. I need to find him. I need to find him. So he came to where Jesus was. He asked the disciples for help. So again, it's one thing to come. It's a, next, it's a whole other thing to acknowledge your need. Right? Why is it in religious environments that we have such a hard time acknowledging our need? Can, can, can I just say none of us here have it figured out? Does everybody here have issues? No. Is there anybody that doesn't have issues? Nobody? I mean, I'm not saying your life is falling apart. Hey, some of you guys are doing good. Praise the Lord, man. Life is, there's seasons, you know? Uh, but yeah, nobody's got it figured out. So he, he comes to where Jesus was. He asked the disciples for help. 
He doesn't get the help he needs. And I'm going to stop there. Most people that have had a bad experience in church or a bad experience in a religious community, when they don't get the help they need, what do they need? They walk away from the whole thing. They walk away from the whole thing. And I want to encourage you, if you've been hurt by religion, you've been hurt in a church environment, don't discount the whole thing because of one thing that happened. Right? I heard somebody use an analogy one time. If you go to a bad mechanic and it destroys your car, uh, do anybody ever deal with some of them? They charge you three times the price and things still don't work, right? What do you do? You don't stop going to a mechanic. You find a better mechanic. You find a real mechanic. So don't discount the whole thing because you didn't get what you got, what you were looking for. So he, he doesn't get the help he needs. Instead of turning away, he goes to the source. He goes to Jesus. If you can take pity on us, help us. And then, finally, from his steps from doubt to belief, he says, places his faith in Jesus, but also confesses his struggle with doubt. What does he say? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. What I find really interesting about this story is this guy still had unbelief when the miracle happened. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Because I don't know about you, but I've often heard, in order for God to move, for God to do this, it's this riddle. You better do this right. You better pray with these people. You better say it this right. You better, you better, you better have faith. You better not doubt, right? What does Jesus do? Jesus performs an incredible, incredible miracle in the midst of the doubt. It wasn't devoid of the doubt. It was in the midst of the guy acknowledging that he had doubts and struggles. And he had questions and there was riddles that he didn't understand. But he was still choosing to hold on to Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you're in this room this morning, and that's the space you find yourself in. You've got these questions and you wrestle with all this stuff in your mind. But you're still willing to hold on to Jesus even though you don't have questions. I want you to know that you're standing on the precipice of miracles. And there are no religious hoops to jump through. There's not all this stuff you've got to figure out. God is not waiting for you to figure out the riddle and then all of a sudden he's going to show up. He is standing in the midst of all that. Can I get an amen? amen? The miracle happened. The miracle did not happen devoid of all doubt. Question two, and we're just scratching the surface, okay? I know there's a lot we can dig into with this, but I'm just trying to start the conversation. Question two, why do bad things happen to good people? Has anybody ever asked that question? Anybody? Yeah, most of us have. Is God really a God of provision? What about all the people who don't have any food? Let's start with why do bad things happen to good people? I can speak on this personally. I can speak on this from experience. Uh, some of you guys have heard my story. My brother, he was a wonderful guy. Uh, had never been in trouble. Never been in prison like me. Uh, he was murdered when he was 20 years old. Murdered when he was 20 years old. Uh, got into a fight with a guy. Got stabbed him eight times. He bled to death. 20 years old when I was sitting in juvenile prison. Not only was that bad, but it got, it, it compounded and got even worse as we went through the court proceedings. Uh, again, I was incarcerated, so I wasn't there for any of that stuff. But we went through the whole court thing. The guy never did a day in prison. Uh, they handed him back the knife that he murdered my brother with in front of my own mother. My mom's sitting in the back row there. What, can you throw up your hand? She's sitting in the back row. They did that right in front of my mom. Why? Why? God, where were you at? Right? And I remember sitting in solitary confinement. And I remember, like, not blaming God that I'm in prison and all. Why am I in jail? I know I was in jail. I put on a ski mask and I did a home invasion and rob people and kidnap people. That's why I was in jail. Hey, if this is your first time, welcome to the French church. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Nobody's going to be putting it in a trunk for that. <laughs> 
wasn't questioning God why I was I in prison. But man, I looked at that situation. They told me about that. I freaked out. Started fighting everybody around me. Fighting the guards. Fighting the other inmates. They stripped all my clothes off. They put me in solitary confinement. Or a place called the box. It's not a box, man. It's a concrete cell. No bed. No padding. Steel slab. Concrete walls. You can't see outside. Lowest of lows, man. I was at the lowest point in life. Like rock bottom was above me. Has anybody been there? Anybody been there? Right? You're not at rock bottom, but rock bottom is underneath. Rock bottom is above where you are. And I remember like raging against God. And, and, and I remember my first prayer, my first genuine prayer to God was filled with expletives. I want to tell you this morning, and, and some of you this is going to mess with your theology, but I, I want to tell you that that was one of the most holy and honest prayers that I've ever prayed in my life. Filled with expletives, filled with anger, filled with rage, filled with doubt, filled with all, the, all these questions that God, why, 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 where were you at, where were you at, I know why I'm in here, why was it not me, why was it him instead of me, God, where were you at? Filled with expletives. And you know what happened in the space of that honesty, in the space of that raw transparency, you know what happened? The power of God came into solitary confinement and transformed my life in the midst of that struggle. In the midst of that struggle. And you know what I didn't get in that environment? I didn't get the answer. God is so much larger than the answer. He is so much larger than the answer. And I remember struggling with that, man, dealing with that. The, the guy didn't do a day in prison, didn't do a day in jail. We got another couple here that shared the story a couple weeks ago. Their daughter is wrongfully incarcerated. You guys throw your hands up. Wrongfully incarcerated. She's been in how long? 13 years now? For almost 14 years for something she shouldn't be in prison for. God, where are you at? Can we acknowledge? Maybe it's not prison. Maybe it's not solitary confinement. Maybe it's not somebody you love is murdered. Can we all admit today? Can we all be a little real here today and say, you know what? There's some questions I have. God, where are you in that? Maybe it's not your own story, but maybe you look at the children in Africa who don't have anything to eat, and they're dying from waterborne illness, right? Maybe you're looking at the homeless epidemic in Hamilton, and we are too as a church. God, where are you at in all this? How are there so many homeless people, but there's so many beautiful church buildings? God, what is happening? Where are you at? How is it that there's people, there's a guy literally in the next door to our, to our coffee shop, there's a guy living, he's living in a shed, man, he's living in a shed. We pull up to that place, he comes out of the shed because he has no place to live. He has no place to live. How is it that somebody's living like that? And I heard there's a church building in addition on their building. $10 million, $10 million, 10 minutes away from here. God, where are you at? Is that what you look like? Because if that's what you look like, I don't want any part of it. Amen. I don't want any part of it. Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Let me start with this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a clue. I don't have an answer for my own question. But I want you to know, if you're struggling with that, God is not detached from that question. And you struggling with that does not make you any less spiritual or closer to God. In fact, it makes you closer because you're being honest and you're being real. See, some of us walk around and we act like we don't have any questions and we're filled with them. We're filled with spiritual anxiety and we've never acknowledged it. Why do bad things happen to good people? A lot of times I don't know. But I, I think sometimes the reason bad things happen is our own choices, man. It's our own choices. Can we, I can say that. That's why I went to prison. It was my own choice. I deserve to go to prison because I did what I did. Why do bad things happen to good people? I think part of the answer is, and, and I know this is a real, I, I'm trying to stay away from the pat answers, right, the, the cliches. Uh, part of the reason why I think bad things happen to good people is because evil is present in the world. 
evil is present in the world. We have an enemy. There is an enemy of your soul and my soul called Lucifer, and his whole goal is to come to kill, steal, and destroy everybody everywhere all the time. That's his goal, to kill, steal, and destroy everybody everywhere all the time. And regardless of what your theological beliefs are in this building today, it doesn't take much of a rocket science to step back and look at the media, look at the news, look at these wonderful Sikh people, four of them that were murdered in their house, right? The killing in New Zealand recently with these Muslims going there to pray, they're blown away for, because of hatred. Kids being shot over here for stupid stuff, right? It doesn't take much to see that there's evil. We got somebody here again today. Their daughter is wrongfully incarcerated 14 years for something she shouldn't be in there for. Evil's all around us. Evil's all around us. But don't get filled with the spirit because not, it's not just evil all around us. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me give you a little bit of, of advice and I'll move on with this. Be careful watching too much news. Amen. I'm going to say that again. Be careful of watching too much news. I'm not one of these people that I believe you should be uninformed. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You should be well aware of what's going on. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth that said this. Pretty funny name. Real interesting guy. I won't get into his story. Uh, man, it is character. <laughs> anyway, we got Smith Wigglesworth on here. Okay, a couple of you know what I'm talking about. It was out there. But, uh, he said it was important for him to read, to, to wake up every day and have the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, right? And part of the idea was he didn't want to be disconnected of what was happening in the real world, but he also wanted to hold on to the hope of the scriptures, right? So there's a balance. There's a balance. I'm not saying don't watch the news, but I want you guys to know that the news and the media, if you don't know this already, most of you probably do because you come to the French church. The news and the media is designed for the most part, to, to fill us with fear. If you think about everything that's on the news, it's all negativity. It's all toxic. It's this it's this timeline. It's going, you ever see the scrolling thing on the news, right? If you don't see, you don't know what's going on. And what do they do? They report the worst stuff in the world, right? When's the last time you turned on the news? And I'm not saying it never happened. Thank God for that news. Uh, a uh, company that came down, shot the video on us, right? It was a positive story. But how many people would say the majority of what you see on the news is death, murder, and mayhem? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you, if you watch that stuff all day, if you fill your spirit with all that, all that all day, what you do is you start believing in the reality, and you start thinking that the world is inherently this bad, awful place that you should hide from. Some of the most fearful people I know are Christian people who watch the news all day long. <laughs> they won't go to certain because of this and that, and all these biases and all these prejudices and all this stuff because of the fear of murder and mayhem, right? Moving on, moving on. Is God really a God of provision? What about the people who don't have any food? What about the people who don't have any food? Does anybody struggle with this? There's people that will tell you on television if you just have enough faith that God will do whatever you ask. Has anybody ever heard this? God, if you, if you just figure out the riddle, if you just give them out the right amount, right? We got a special offering. I remember back in the day, they were doing these prayer cloth things. Anybody ever see that? They're doing these prayer cloth things. Hey man, send in your money. We're gonna send you a prayer cloth that we got from Jerusalem. We're gonna send you some holy water. All right? It's, it's silliness. It's, it's nothing more than being a charlatan and hustling people like a drug dealer on the corner. Can I get an amen? It is, it is, it is. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean that I don't think that God wants to bless you, because he does. Let me tell you, the Lord wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to 
help you figure out your finances. He wants to help your family uh, be in a good space. God's goal for you and I is wholeness, and that's on every level. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I don't know about you, but I would see these people, and there's this guy, man, oh, I love, I love this dude. I love the meeting. There's this guy. Anybody on Instagram? There's this guy. He's got a page. He's got a page on Instagram, and it's called uh, Preachers and Sneakers. Preachers and Sneakers. And what it is, this dude's crazy, man. He'll take screenshots of the preachers on TV, and he'll, like, zoom in on the shoes. He'll find out what the shoes are, then he'll put the price tag next to it. Preachers and sneakers, man. It's hilarious. And these guys that are on TV telling people they need to trust God are wearing $2,200 tennis shoes. Something doesn't sit. Am I the only one? Something doesn't feel right with that. And I'm not a hater, okay? I wouldn't mind a nice pair of shoes. I like my shucks, actually. I really don't care. They look better the more than meet up. Anybody up in here would like some better shoes? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. $2,200 pair of shoes. Something doesn't feel right. So you're telling me that God provides, and, and I don't know about you, but the cognitive dissonance of that really it bothers me. Why is it that some people, that's their reality, and then we have other people who are living in a shed next to our coffee house? Is it just because we didn't figure out the middle? Is God really got a provision? What about the people who don't have any food? And I'm going to tell you this in my own life. Part of the reason why I've struggled financially uh, in my past is because I was irresponsible. I was irresponsible. Part of the reason why some people are stuck in poverty, I'm not saying all of them, because I, I grew up in that environment. We, we went through welfare, we lived in all that, lived in inner city Cleveland. Some of the reasons some people are stuck in poverty is their own choices. Can I hear an amen? Those of you that lived in poverty and you were doing dumb stuff, right? I'm not the only one. It was our own choices. Other people, the reason they're stuck in that situation is there are socioeconomic systems in place designed to oppress and keep people down. Can I get an amen? Yes. Right? And, and there, is, there, there are these systems designed to keep people stuck. Uh, Christy has gone through this financial uh, literacy stuff, and we're going to do classes eventually with the church where we're going to teach people how to manage their funds, how to save money, how to, how to create a budget. I don't know about you, but some of us, when we were kids, we were not taught that stuff. We were not taught that stuff. And so we want to give people the tools to do that. So part of the reason why some people struggle, it's their own choices. Part of the reason why some people don't have what they need, it's, it's socioeconomic oppression. Being done on purpose. Being done on purpose. And then the other reason is, I heard somebody encapsulate this perfect in, in this phrase. There's always been enough for everyone's need, but there's not enough for everyone's greed. That's right. And so there's people out there that, that have, I remember one of the times I got ripped off the worst doing uh, construction on this guy's house. We were doing some painting. This guy's house up in Cleveland. And, uh, he owed us about, I don't know, about $7,000 or something. We were doing a bunch of painting out of his big fancy house. And he just decided he wasn't going to pass. Wasn't going to pass. Paint job was perfect. No paint on that one. You know, everything done neatly, everything done right. Looked perfect. He just decided he wasn't going to pay us. We walked in his garage to get some tools. You know, you know what he's got in his garage? A $500,000 memory. Oh, so you got a $500,000 car and you're going to rip me off for $7,000. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, there's a lot of wealthy people that are not like that. They're very generous. They're good people. It's not everybody that has funds, you know? Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there's not enough for everyone's greed, but there is enough for everyone's need. And so that's part of the problem as well. Again, we're just scratching the surfaces here. And, and, and I want to say this, and this is convicting to me as the pastor of this church, part of the reason why people don't have any food, and I want to say this 
on behalf of the church as a whole in America is because the church as a whole in America has ignored the needs of the people outside the buildings. Can I get an amen? That's part of the reason. You know, in the early church, there was no such thing as poverty. They completely eradicated poverty. You know how they did that? They, they shared what they had. they had. The Bible talks about in the book of Acts, they had all things in common. They had all things in common. And so there was this communal aspect of, hey, we belong to each other. And if you're down on your knees, I'm not going to help you stay there. Let me be clear with that. There's some people that would try to help. They don't want the help. We're not going to enable them, right? We're not going to enable them. But there's no way I'm going to see you on your knees. I'm going to see you down there. And I can just turn a blind eye to that, right? If you struggle with this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Is God really the God of provision? I want you to know that there's people in the Bible, people in the Bible that struggle with this throughout the course of history. You look throughout the book of Psalms, there's several of these mantras. How long, oh Lord? How long are you going to not listen to our cries? How long are you going to allow our enemies to oppress us? You think about the Hebrew slaves when they were slaves in Egypt. 400 years, man, these people were crying out, crying out. There was this guy named Gideon, if you're not familiar. He struggled with, with doubt. He wrestled with questions. And he had a great call on his life, but he wrestled with the practicality of what does this mean here and now. Let's just read chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now listen how bad God's people had it. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and didn't spare a living thing from Israel, neither sheep, cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So here's the people who are supposed to be God's people, right? And they're doing all this evil stuff and all this awful stuff happens. It got so bad that like they were stealing their crops. It got so bad these people were living in caves, man. They were living in caves. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Tent City. It reminds me of people in Hamilton that are homeless, that are sleeping in sheds. It reminds me of people that are camping out behind auto zone, living in the woods, living in tents, right? Everything is being decimated, right? And they finally reached to the point where they cried out for help. Back to my own story. Why were the Israelites in this place? Because of their own human choices. And for some of us, some of our questions, they're not, they're not for out there. They're for in here. They're for in here. And one of the hardest things you can do is look at your own life, look at your own decisions, and look yourself in the mirror. So for these Israelites, the first step for them was to acknowledge their own participation in what they had created. Right? Why, is it, why, why does America have the highest incarceration rate in the world? It's not just because people are committing crimes. It's because we in America don't value rehabilitation. Why, is, why are we overwhelmed with heroin addiction in this area? Because we don't value rehabilitation. What's happened with most of these people? They get locked up, right? They send them to prison. How does that help you going to prison when you have a drug addiction, right? So they created it. So God comes to Gideon, verse 12. The angel comes to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then Gideon replies, Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Has anybody ever asked that? God, if you're with us, then why has all this happened? Where, listen, listen, listen to the condescending tone of Gideon's voice. 
Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of, of, of Midian. So here's the mighty man of God telling God that, hey, if you were with us, why did all this stuff happen? You know what that does? For me, that gives us permission to ask those same questions. To ask those same questions. And then he says to us, if the Lord was with us, why did all this happen? Where are all the wonders? Anybody have to ask themselves that question? Why does it seem like only the miracles used to happen back then? Right? Why did this stuff happen then? It seems like it's happening over there, but why didn't it happen with us? And then he finally he says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You might be sitting in this place this morning and you might feel abandoned by God. I want you to know that you're not the only one that has walked the human life that has felt that way. It's right in the Bible. You're not alone. You're not alone. And so Gideon doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe God's going to deliver him. He doesn't believe things are going to change. And God says, hey, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it through you. And then, so Gideon says, hey, man, I want a sign. I want a sign. And maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you struggle with believing if any of this is real. And so Gideon said, says, hey, I'm going to put the sacrifice out, and I want you to do something with it. And so God sends the fire, burns the sacrifice out. That's not enough. Anybody, is anybody here that's not, it's never enough, right? Maybe God, if you're doing this, then show me this and show me that. And we're always trying, to, always trying to figure it out. Always trying to make sure, right? So he does this little test. He takes a fleece out. He's a piece of fleece and sets it out. Says, God, if you're really doing this, then I want to wake up and I want this fleece to be wet. Right? I want the dew to still be on when the sun comes out. So he goes out. Fleece is there. It's wet. Still not enough. Still not enough. He says, God, you got to do something else. I'll put it out again. I want it to be dry this time. Puts it out. It's dry. Finally, he, 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 he accepts it. And God does some amazing stuff. But my point is, we're still talking about Gideon thousands of years later. And he had doubts and questions just like you and I. But you know what? He still continued to step towards God. I want to talk about prayer next. Prayer next. Does God hear my prayers? If he does, then why doesn't he answer? I followed the formula, but it didn't work. Does he maybe just answer some people? Is there like some special club that I'm not a part of? My prayers don't sound like their prayers. I don't know how to pray. Does, has anybody ever struggled with that? Does God hear me pray? Yeah, we all have. I want to play this video, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. It's at Tim Hawkins. Oh, you know what? Your prayers all the time in different styles. Got little quirks that people have in your prayer. I'm like little phrases that I don't understand this day. But we use the phrases, but we, that's just what we heard growing up. We think that's just the right thing to say when we pray. You know, like hedge of protection. You ever hear that? Hear that a lot. Hedge of protection. Then we are praying to hedge of protection around you, buddy. That's right, a hedge. <laughs> Around you and your whole family. Go ahead, huh? I don't mean to complain. Is that the best you can do? How about fixing that wall? There's some razor wire on top of that back door. Hey, the thing that said Clippers get right through that thing. I'm sure the devil's got a set of those. I mean, you think a hedge is going to scare the devil away? And watch like, oh, is this greenery? <laughs> I can't think you that. Move the bush. My greatest sweetness is last year. How do they do it? Some people, like, when they pray, they get nervous and they say just too much. 
Very graceful, very good. Like, oh, Jeff, 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 Jeff,
It's funny. But yeah, these phrases, what does it mean, man? Funny stuff, funny stuff. I think prayer, uh, Jesus mentioned when he prayed, don't feel like you have to be long-winded. Don't, don't feel like you have to stand on the street corner and make some big spectacle of this thing. You know what kind of prayer God hears? Is a prayer of an honest heart. Of an honest heart. That's the only requirement. You don't need the flowery language. You don't need all the answers. You know what you need? An honest and transparent heart. And the Bible says that when, when we cry out to God, when we call out to God, it says that He hears us when we pray. He hears us when we pray. Uh, but yeah, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. What if I don't have the right language? I don't pray the right way. God's not concerned with any of that. Again, back to my story of being incarcerated. One of the most honest, holy prayers I've ever prayed was filled with expletives. Uh, I'm not going to pray this morning in expletives. There's been a little growth, hopefully, right? If that's where you're at, you know, you don't want to be praying like that two years from now. But hey, just be honest, man. Just be honest with the Lord where you're at. Talk to him like he's your friend. He wants to hear what you have to say. He wants to hear what you have to say. I want to jump into this next video, and then we will wrap it up with this. I thank you that you are here to meet us right in the space that we are this morning. I thank you, God, that you are not detached from our struggles. You are not detached from our questions. You are not detached from our doubts. I thank you, Lord, that you have come to meet us in that space of struggle. And Lord, we acknowledge some of us, we have deep questions, deep doubts, deep spiritual angst that we are struggling with this morning. And so, God, we choose to come to you just like the man in the Bible whose son was sick, even though he didn't know if he was going to be healed or not. He had enough faith to bring him to Jesus. And God, we come to you with this baggage. We come to you with these questions. We come to you with these doubts. And even though we may not find the answer, we come to you with it. We give it to you, God. And I thank you that you are a God who listens. You are a God who is close. You are a God who has come to seek and save that which is lost. Lord, those of us that struggle with God, where were you? I thank you that when we answer the suffering of others, when we listen to the story of others, he can help us find healing from our own suffering. So God, as we go through hardship, as we go through unanswered questions, as we go through struggling against injustice, may we enter the stories of those around us who share similar stories. And in that, we find a sense of peace, we find a sense of hope, and we find a sense of healing. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the author of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak the truth of who you are to each and every person in this room. I thank you, God, that you made your table so big in your calling everybody everywhere all the time to enter in, enter into the way of life, enter into the way of freedom, enter into the way of hope, come to me with all your burdens and your questions and your baggage and I will give you rest, I will give your soul rest.